This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey. I'm thrilled that you are with us this morning on this cold Sunday morning. Thank you for uh, braving the weather. Uh, We are in week number one of a brand new series I'm really excited about. It's called Fully You, and we're going to be talking about that all this month. Uh, So we're excited about that, and uh, we hope that you are as well. Uh, Before we get into that series, though, I want to take just a moment this morning and encourage everybody to reach into the seat in front of them to find one of these connect cards. Uh, We certainly want you to take a moment and and fill that out. You can uh, put your information on the front or mark that it's all uh, current, but especially on the back. Uh, There's a place there you can write prayer requests, decisions you've made. Maybe you want to volunteer someplace. You want us to know something else. Uh, This is a great, great way for you to communicate to us. You can drop that in the offering bags as they go by at the end of our gathering today. With that shared, let me just uh, pause and and pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Lord God, the first song that we sang today was just to rejoice in you. This morning, that's what I just want to do collectively together for just a moment. We just want to rejoice in your presence here with us. We want to rejoice in how you walk with us throughout life, God, and we want to rejoice in becoming more and more of who you want us to be. That is what today in this series is all about, finding our identity in you. Help us with that today, God. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, Have you ever noticed when... um, Maybe you're watching a a TV show or you're watching the evening news and someone just got caught doing something they they weren't supposed to be doing. They they broke some law, they broke some rule, and almost inevitably, right, they say something like, well, um, you know, that wasn't really me. I, I don't know what got into me. I don't know what happened. It's not who I am. And of course, it was them who really did that, right? And I think what people are trying to say when they say things like that is this. I think people are trying to say, you know, um, that's not my real character. I know better. I am better. That's not just something that we see on a TV show or in a movie or we hear on the evening news. We've heard our kids say things like that, right? We've said things like that. And what we mean is I know better. I I know God has better things for me. I want better things for me. That's not who I want to be. This series, Fully You, is about being our true selves. Being our true selves in Christ. It's about moving past the pain and the hurts in the failures to do just that. In a book I read um, 
A couple of years ago, the author, J.R. Briggs, he spends a whole section of the book on this one kind of quote, and it just really has stuck with me, and it's this. He says, learning is most often preceded by unlearning. Learning is most often preceded by unlearning. And what he means by that is that as he has gone through life, as he has gone through faith, as he has uh, studied how the disciples interact with, with Jesus, what he has noticed is that so often what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get us to unlearn some preconceived notion, some pattern of thinking, some way of behaving. He's trying to get us to unlearn something that we had done before so that we can learn his ways, which are so different from our ways. I was thinking about that uh, statement, learning is preceded by unlearning. Just last week after church, I was talking with somebody. They were describing uh, a trip they had just gone on. They had gone out west and they went uh, snow skiing. Sounded like a great adventure, but my mind immediately went to my last skiing adventure, which was on the bunny hill. Lots of falling on the bunny hill. And uh, my problem, my problem was I spent too many years water skiing, and you would think those two things would help each other, but in water skiing, you always lean back, and in snow skiing, snow skiing you got to lean forward. And so whenever I got in trouble, I would lean back and I would fall. I couldn't unlearn the habits that I had picked up to learn how to snow ski. One of the first things, one of the first things we need to unlearn when we are following Jesus are the patterns of shame we so often pick up in life. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, our um, series, uh, Fully You, the title comes from a book by the, by the same title, and it's written by a man named Joel Malm, and in it, he kind of starts the book, starts the book with this fictional story that I want to share with you today. He, he tells about a lady who um, walks into a store and there is a parrot there, and she uh, it catches her eye, and she walks up to the cage, and she says, Whoa, aren't you just the cutest little thing? The parrot has picked up a few bad habits, and so it squawks. He said, Hey, lady! Is that a parrot voice? That Not much of a parrot voice, was it? I tried all of a sudden. I don't know why. Uh, anyway, he said, Hey, lady, you're ugly. Now, she's furious. She goes to the store manager, and she's, she's just hot. She's going through all the things that she's going to do, how she's never going to come back. She's going to tell all her friends. She storms out of the store. Manager goes over. He goes over to the cage. He shakes it. He says, don't you ever do that again. A couple days later, Lady comes back into the store. She kind of ignores the bird at first, but then eventually her path takes her right by the cage. The parrot this time whispers, says, hey, lady. She turns right around. She's ready for it this time. The parrot just kind of smiles and says, you know. You know. He goes on to say, that's what shame does in our life. 
That's what shame does in our life. It keeps squawking the same negative message over and over and over again. So we've heard it so many times, it doesn't even need to be repeated anymore. A glance, a side comment, and all of a sudden, it's, you know, you know you're damaged, you know you're broken, you know your flaws, you know you're dirty, undeserving, unwanted. Those and a million more are the lies that, the lies that um, shame tells us about ourselves. Just a, a personal story about shame this morning. When I was young, I had a lot of trouble reading, and so I had to repeat the first grade. And I remember the teacher taking me and a couple of the other students into this room next to our first grade classroom. It was like a closet, I think. And she told us that we had to come back and do first grade again. And and I remember in that moment just feeling like a failure and I couldn't believe it. I didn't even know that was an option. And then she marched us back into the classroom with all the other kids. I'm sure I had tears in my eyes. And I remember in that moment, I remember feeling like every one of those people who are now looking at me, they knew exactly how I felt. They knew that I had failed. They knew that I didn't measure up. They knew uh, they could see right through me. Even though I would go on to college and graduate work, I always felt like that little kid. In every classroom I sat in, I felt like people could see right through me. They could see I didn't really belong here. I was just waiting for them to call me out, say, you're not really worthy. You're not really smart enough to be here. Maybe shame in your life has nothing to do with school. Maybe it's tied to body image. Maybe it's tied to some other failure tied to your past, tied to something that's been done to you. Whatever the cause, you and I know how powerful shame can be in our lives. Shame. Shame appears in the very first pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. They're in perfect harmony with one another. They're in perfect harmony with nature. They're in perfect harmony with God until they sin. And right after sin comes shame. In those very first pages of the Bible, it says that Adam's and Eve, Adam and Eve's eyes were opened and then the Lord came, and he wanted to spend time with Adam like, uh, like he had been. But he has to ask, where are you? And Adam responds, and he admits his shame. He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid. Brene Brown, uh, a famous uh, researcher and sociologist who studies shame, She asked a whole bunch of people. She took this kind of survey and she said, okay, what is is vulnerability? What does it feel like? The number one response, nakedness. 
feels like being naked, exposed, and it makes you want to hide. That's what happens with shame in our life. It comes from all kinds of places. It comes from abuse, divorce, addictions, failures. The list goes on and on. The bottom line is this. If you want to hide it, if you want to keep it a secret, it probably has to do with shame. It's based in shame. Shame makes us hide from others. It makes us hide from ourselves. It makes us hide from God. Christian counselor Ed Welch said this about shame. Shame is the deep sense that you are inherently flawed, that you're unacceptable, that you're unworthy of love because of something you've done, something that's been done to you, or something associated with you. That's what shame is. This morning, now that we kind of spent some time describing what shame is, what I want to do is, with kind of the remainder of my time, I want to talk to you about a story in Scripture of a woman who experienced incredible shame and how Jesus brought her out of it and how he can bring us out of shame too. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. We're just going to go walk through these verses slowly this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. I'm going to just start with the first two. Verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. And then a man named Jairus, a leader at the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. Now here's something we need to catch right off in the very beginning. The woman doesn't even start in her own story. Jairus is the first character we see. He's an important person. He's a leader. It says he's a a ruler in the synagogue. He was the kind of guy who wore long robes, who when he walked down the street, people got out of his way. He was powerful, and he was rich. And he had a daughter who was sick. That's this last one that brings Jairus to Jesus. And he's doing something that I'm quite sure he'd probably never done before. He's a proud kind of man, but in this scene, he's on his hands and his knees, and he's begging. He's begging Jesus to help his daughter. Verse 42 and 43, his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying, and Jesus went with him. He was assured, he was uh, surrounded by the crowds, I'm sorry. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. Verse 43, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. This woman, here, here, now she enters the story. Uh, She's suffering physically. She was unable to have children, and perhaps most importantly, she is ceremonially unclean. Her her bleeding caused her pain. It it made her an outcast in society for 12 years. 
Think about that for just a moment. For 12 years, no one had hugged her or given her a kiss on the cheek. For 12 years, she hadn't been permitted to enter a temple and connect with God. For for 12 years, her dreams of a family and a marriage and a life in community had been dashed. Luke tells us that she's out of options. She's tried them all. There's no medical cure that she can find. Oh, and she's nameless in her own story. That's an intentional. She's hidden. She's invisible to people. That's the way she wants it. Because that's precisely what shame does to us. Makes us want to hide. Makes us want to be invisible. Makes us want to hide our true selves. The contrast between this woman and Jarius, they're stark here. There's so many differences. Jarius is famous. Everyone in towns and town knows him. This woman is nameless. She was, or I'm sorry, he was respected. She was rejected. He has a much-loved daughter who is just 12 years old and who is deathly sick. She has been an outcast of her community for 12 years. They only have one thing in common. They both need Jesus. They both need Jesus. Verse 44, coming up behind him, uh, behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. She's healed, but she's got this dilemma now. Because see, she's not even supposed to be in public, let alone around a holy person like Jesus. Now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? If the people saw her, they would run her out of town. If they ran her out of town, what would Jesus think? Would he take back the healing? Verses 45 through 47. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble. And she fell to her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Now, there's a lot of complex emotions uh, swimming around this scene right now. So I want you to just try and use your imaginations. Try and kind of see this in your mind. There's kind of three things, three scenes we see happening here. Number one, Jesus. Jesus asks who touched him. Yes, who touched him because he, he, said he has something even greater he wants to give them than the physical healing they have just received. But nobody knows that right now. We got Peter and the disciples who are around Jesus who are kind of supposed to be in the know, but they're clueless. Peter says, 
It's a tiny street. There's people all around us. They're touching all of us. Stop complaining, Jesus. And this woman, this woman who has just experienced this healing that she has been waiting for for 12 long years, hears Jesus' question, and her heart sinks. Her heart sinks because that is exactly what she feared most. She's exposed. Now she's going to have to explain everything and she's going to have to endure the jeers and the humiliation and the rejection all over again. And in the midst of all of these swirling emotions, there's this very important theological question that gets posed for all of us who suffer and experience shame. The question is this. What is it like? What is it like to have all of our ugliness and our mess and our sin and our shame exposed before a holy God? What is it like to have all of that brought before a holy God? Because make no mistake, that's what is swirling through this woman's mind. That's precisely what is happening in her right now. Uh, She's not overjoyed at Jesus' question. If we look at verse 47, it says she's trembling in fear and she falls to her knees. She's not jumping up and saying, it's me, it's me. She's gone through great lengths hidden kind of back in the corner, out of sight. She's been staying kind of uh, away from everybody until the exact moment where she could reach out and touch Jesus. But she's tried to do it all clandestine, all top secret. But now her greatest fear has come true. She's been exposed. We can just imagine her wincing, right? Wincing, just waiting for the jeers, waiting for the rejection, waiting to experience all of that over and over again. But that's all about to change with one word from Jesus. Verse 48, Jesus looks at her and he says, daughter, daughter, your faith is has made you well, go in peace. Keep using those imaginations for just a moment. Try and keep that scene in your mind. Again, 12 years, she hasn't had a hug or a kiss on the cheek. She's been unclean, forgotten by society, rejected. In her own story, her name is thought not important enough to mention And here we are at the apex of the story. All of the emotions, all of the uh, things are tensing up. She's waiting to be rejected. She's waiting to maybe have the healing taken. What does she hear Jesus say? What are the first words? Is it, hey, you? Is it, uh, how dare you? Is it, excuse me, ma'am? No. It's daughter. It's daughter.
daughter. It's you think that you had been an outcast and you're about to be an outcast again, but I, Jesus, I'm here to tell you, you are a part of my family. You're my daughter. What happens when we stand before a holy God exposed with our mess and our flaws and our brokenness when we have faith? When we have faith, we hear, my son, my daughter. And in an instant, we go from unlone and unwanted to beloved and belonging. That's what God wants for us. That's what it means to be fully you in Christ. That's what it means to uh, get beyond Shame to not be imprisoned by it any longer. Three things we see happen in the story that I think we can see happen in our life. As we kind of think about uh, moving to putting the story into action. This morning, here are the three things. First is this. Hearing our story. This woman didn't want others to see her. She went through great lengths to stay hidden. She felt like the the shame was too great. It had too much a hold of her. But Jesus knows she needs more than just the physical healing. She needs an emotional healing. And that starts with her story being heard. I heard that sociologist, Brene Brown, speak once. One we talked about earlier, and what I remember so clearly is that she kept coming back as she was describing the power that shame can have in our lives. She kept saying again and again, shame thrives in the dark, in the secrets. It grows, and it grows, and it gets bigger and bigger, but it dies in the light. When it's exposed to the truth, when it's named, it loses so much of its power. When Jesus is lifting us out of shame, so often one of the things that needs to happen is our story needs to be heard. Second thing is to lift our head. We should notice that the woman, she doesn't lift up her own head. Jesus takes the initiative with his words. With his words, daughter, beloved, my dearest, your faith has made you well. It's important that we remember. It's important that we remember that faith isn't about going off and kind of cleaning up our lives and making it just so. Faith is about coming before God, coming before Jesus, vulnerable and broken and stained with sin, and then letting God build a new identity, a new life in us. We need to have our heads lifted by God. 
So once we've had our story heard, our our head has been lifted, the third thing that we see happen in, in this story, and I think that we can see happen in our lives, is being restored to loving community. God builds his church on broken people like you and me. He builds his church on people like us. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that kind of amazes me about the Bible when I think about the story is that is it entirely plausible that as the gospel got written down and kind of got circulated, that one day it came to a church and it got read aloud and there was a woman who as she heard the story, a tear ran down her cheek because she knew that was her story. She knew that she had come full circle from outcast and alone to healed by Jesus and embraced by his church. This morning, let's pray. Let's pray that these three things happen in our lives and in this place. Lord, Lord, we know how powerful shame can be. We have experienced it. We know uh, how it, it becomes a cycle. And God, we know that it's not what you want for us. That you have bigger plans, greater things. That when you look at us, you don't see the shame that we so often feel just covered in. And so God, this morning, I just want to pray for all of us who are or have been or someday will be affected by it. This morning, God, maybe someone needs to have the courage and the strength to share that story. Share that story with, with someone, a friend, a, a counselor, a pastor, so that that shame can begin to come from the darkness where it grows and grows and grows to the light where it shrivels and dies. God, that scene where the woman hears Jesus say, who touched me? And she's trembling and on her knees and her head is down because she's just wincing up, waiting for whatever uh, terrible thing is in her imagination that's going to happen next. Then the first word you speak to her is daughter. must have completely come out of left field. She must have had no idea. That was never in her wildest dream the word that she thought you would use to describe her. But it's the word that is the most important. It should be the most important for every single one of us. No matter what we have achieved, no matter what we are feeling, 
hearing you say, daughter, son, raises our head. And lastly, God, we pray that we are the kind of place, the kind of church that embraces broken people just as you call us to. Help us to be that, Lord. In your wonderful and powerful name we pray.